Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then you say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jerry, thank you. Praise the Lord. Jeff Nolan, praise the Lord. Would you find your seats? Just find them and then we'll stand in a minute. Praise the Lord, Bensbergs. Um, I have a message for you today. You're a rowdy group today. I have a message for you today that is going to talk about how just how revolutionary the gospel is. We have already been talking through the book of Galatians and have said something very revolutionary that salvation is by grace, not by works, which is very contrary to how the world works and how we earn things. But that's already part of the revolution of the gospel. Another revolutionary thing will be here in this passage. So listen for it. Would you stand with me? We're going to read Galatians chapter 3, verse 21 through 29. And if you're able, you can stand. It, it, I'm going to read it kind of slow because Paul is often hard to understand. This is a, a book written by Paul, and it's hard to understand. Anybody else think Paul is a little hard to understand at times? I see those hands. You know who would agree with you? Peter. Get this. Look, look it up later if you don't believe me. In 2 Peter 3.16, Peter says about Paul's writings, they are sometimes hard to understand. So if it's hard for the apostle, the saint Peter, to understand some of Paul's writings, well then listen in closely. What is here is quite expansive. It is quite deep. And so it says this. He asks a question, a rhetorical question. Galatians 3.21, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God. So is, is the law opposed to the promises of God? What's it say next? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So, so in other words, there was the time in which there was the law and it's been kind of locked up until Jesus came to by which we get salvation from Jesus, not by the works of the law. Verse 23, is that where we're at? Before the coming of this faith, what faith? Faith in Jesus. We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come, that faith in Jesus, was revealed. So the law is our guardian. Maybe in your version, it could say uh, caretaker. If you have the King James version, it could say schoolmaster. But here it says in the NIV, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Stay with me, because this here is the passage that's so revolutionary. So in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed yourself with Christ. Verse 28, very famous. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You are heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Christ is in our midst. Let's pray. God, we, we think about this image of us all being one in Christ from every tribe, every nation, every language, neither slave nor free nor Jew nor Gentile nor male nor female, all of us one in Christ. And this is a miracle. This is your gift to us, Lord, that we could look at this and look forward to this and receive this. It's only by your grace and your mercy. And so, Lord, we thank you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people at New Life Manitou shouted, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is a great passage. Lots of good news for us today here out of the book of Galatians. I want to give you a three-point sermon because that's what I usually do. Uh, the points are would be this, that the first of all, that the law has a purpose. The second point is going to be something about Abraham, that we as believers in Jesus get to be a part of Abraham's promises from like the book of Genesis when God promised to Abraham, I will bless all people through Abraham. So we get to experience that. And finally, we will look at this passage towards the end where it says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. We're all one in Christ. So let's jump right in, shall we, to the first point. Point number one, the law has purpose. And when we talk about the law, we're talking about the Old Testament Torah, the rules, the regulations about what to eat, what not to eat, what to do if somebody gets sick, what to do on the Sabbath day, what not to do on the Sabbath day, feasts and festivals, these endless rules that are in the Old Testament. Galatians 3.21, what we just said, asked the question rhetorically, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? And in here we see a therefore, and there's a preacher's joke, a preacher's riddle, that says, if you see a therefore in the Bible, you should always go see what it's there for. Oh, you already know the joke. It's, it's not even a joke. It's just silliness. But if you see a therefore, what is it there for? And in this passage, the passage we looked at last week, it's Paul's like most pointed passage in the whole Bible. I, I personally think it, there's no stronger language than Paul saying in Galatians chapter three, verse one, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And he goes on to say, were you saved by the law or were you saved by faith? Of course, we're saved by faith, not by the law. And so Paul is like hammering this point home that we're not saved by the law. And then he asks this question. So then is the law, is it play no purpose? Is the law opposed to the promises of God? He answers his own question and says, absolutely not. There is purpose for the law. And I could see two really big purposes. The first one, we see this full argument in Romans. If some of you really love this argument about why we have have the law at all then. You could read the book of Romans, specifically chapter 7, chapter 3, in which it says that the law was put in place so that people would actually recognize that they can't keep it. Kind of a weird reason to have a law, but there was all these rules, all these regulations put into place so that someone would should come to the conclusion, I can't do this on my own. I need faith in the grace of God. And we see this even in the Old Testament where people are justified and credited as righteous before the law. We'll talk about that in a minute. The second idea here that Paul says for us, like there is purpose for the law. He's been railing against it saying we're not saved by the law, but there 
is a purpose. He calls it here in the NIV version of the Bible. He says the law is like our guardian. If you look at Galatians 3.24, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified through faith. So there was a purpose and time for the law. It was like a guardian. It was like maybe your translation says caretaker. The King James Version says schoolmaster. If I was translating it, this might be too, uh, I don't know. Uh, I would say like a babysitter. That, like, that's the kind of word here being used by Paul. It's like someone just taking care of you, kind of training you in the way, making sure you don't hurt yourself, as training wheels to faith so that you would realize that it's really all by faith that we are saved. And Paul goes into this argument talking about Abraham and Moses. If you read all of Galatians, which I encourage you to do, in chapter three is this whole argument about Abraham and Moses and the law. And you kind of have to know a little bit about the Old Testament. So here's a pop quiz. Did you know you're going to get a pop quiz today? Here it is. Was Abraham before Moses or was Moses before Abraham? How many of you would say Abraham was before Moses? Raise your hand. If you're raising your hand, you are correct. That is the correct answer. Abraham lived and there's Isaac, uh, Jacob. Jacob has the 12 uh, sons. One of them is Joseph. There's like a plague and a famine and Joseph ends up in Egypt. Remember the story with the coat and the many colors and he ends up in Egypt. And then all his brothers, the family come to Egypt because they have enough food because God made a way through Joseph and his leadership. Do you remember all this? And then the Egyptians kind of turn on the people of Israel and then they make them slaves. And then and who leads them out of slavery? Moses. And so, yeah, of course, Moses. And now that I've said all that, you're all like, yeah, yeah, of course, that makes sense. Abraham, then Moses. But who is Abraham? Well, he's like the hero of the Old Testament, right? Every Jewish person would say, Father Abraham. In fact, there's a song about it, right? Father Abraham had many sons. How many sons had Father Abraham? I wanted them. And so you, so let's just praise the Lord. So you know the song. Did you know, I think I've said this before. Maybe I haven't said this before. I'm about to just bury myself into a deep hole that maybe you will never respect me again. But I thought, and I don't know why, I think I remember singing that song as a Cub Scout and Cub Scouts, we like do the pledge and we love the USA. And so I remember that song for some reason, you're gonna think I'm insane. Uh, really, truly. Uh, but I thought that song for some weird, reason in my head was a song about Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> and it was like, we're all sons of the USA. And, and I'm one of them too. And go USA. And I remember like, like I turned to somebody at church because the kids were singing that song. And I was like, why are they singing that song about Abraham? Like I was in high school. I was like a 16 year old. And they looked at me like, it's not Abraham Lincoln. It's Abraham in the Bible. And of course, like hopefully you can gain some respect for me. Uh, maybe. Um, but the song, we are all sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham, because Paul will make that argument very clear here in this passage, is that because we have faith in Jesus, we can be Abraham's descendants. So this is actually point number two of this sermon. You, me, we are all Abraham's descendants if we are in faith in Christ. 
which is revolutionary. Remember, I started this sermon saying, I'm gonna tell you something revolutionary this morning. The revolutionary thing is that we can be a part of this old promise dating back to like a hero of the faith in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 12, when God promises to Abraham, I will bless all people through you. We could be a descendant of Abraham if we believe in Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Like that's good news. That's, that's revolutionary gospel news that we could be part of Abraham's descendants. That's really good news for us, but it might be kind of some bad news for like maybe some jealous, uh, rule-following, true, like in their blood, descendants of Abraham. Let me explain. So at the time of Paul, Paul writing this to uh, uh, mainly Jewish congregation in Galatia, he's kind of, I think they could receive this as bad news. Like that they could say this, this Jewish group of people that believe in Jesus who are in the lineage of Abraham themselves could with their pride say, I really am Abraham's descendants. I've been following all these rules. Who are these riffraff they get to come in and declare themselves Abraham's descendants. Can you see that argument? It's like if you're playing by the rules and some other people are not playing by the rules and then the coach comes over and is like, everybody's a winner, everybody gets a trophy. You would be like, I've been following the rules. How do these riffraff get to come in here, right? Do you wanna hear a story? Um, it has to do with Chick-fil-A. Anybody, anybody like the Chick-fil-A? They invented the, the chicken sandwich. So Chick-fil-A used to do this thing before COVID. They, they might never do it again. It was, it was like a season. It was a time that was really fun. They would open a new Chick-fil-A store and they would have uh, the first 100 people to be at a Chick-fil-A opening uh, would get Chick-fil-A for a year. Has anybody done this? Mark Wolf, I see that hand. Anybody else? No one else has done this? Okay, a couple people, good. And so this thing was that they would, if more people than 100 came, they would do a raffle and only 100 people would get to stay in the parking lot for 24 hours. You'd camp. It was actually, if the weather was nice, it was quite fun. They would have a DJ. They would feed you Chick-fil-A breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There would be snacks. It would be endless amounts of lemonade and iced tea. And they had games and prizes. It was really fun. I brought Jay, one of my sons one time, and he just loved it. It was really fun. You just camped and you used the bathroom. It was like all the cool things of camping, but like Wi-Fi and a bathroom and games and a DJ. It was really fun. But it wasn't fun when there was bad weather. So years ago, I think it was like my third Chick-fil-A opening, and I did quite a few of these. So I had (laughs) Chick-fil-A for a year for quite a few years. Uh, anyways, it was like my third one. It was up in Denver before they changed the rules that you could only go to your local one that was opening. But anyways, before they changed the rules, went up to Denver in the dead of January, just warm enough for it to rain all day. And usually there's like hundreds of people that show up and they raffle off just a hundred spots. But there was like 50 people. And it was horrible weather. It was raining. It was cold. We set up our tents. It's wet inside the tents. Sleeping bags are wet. They called off the DJs. Like, oh, no DJ's going to want to come. They called off the games and stuff because people were just hunkered down in their tents. Evening came. It got cold. The rain froze. My tent had a puddle of water in it. I couldn't lay down all the way. So I'm like sitting up, shivering the whole night to get Chick-fil-A for a year. I followed the rules. I didn't leave. I stayed on the property. It was brutal. My back hurts just thinking about that night. It was horrible. And so in the morning, 
people went home through the night. The people were like, this is ridiculous. But I was like a boy scout. I had some pride. And so I'm just, I'm just gonna shiver all night and sit in my stupid tent and be wet. And it was brutal. So the morning comes, there was like a dozen of us, like 12 of us that are like, yay, Chick-fil-A for a year. We get our coupons for Chick-fil-A for a year. And then other people that had left in the night came back. And guess what? They got it. In fact, there was people who just came through the drive-thru. They didn't even get out of their car. They just went through the drive-thru and got Chick-fil-A for a year. And I was furious. I was so mad at Chick-fil-A. I was so mad at these jokers that went away and came back or just showed up that morning. I was furious. Like, how dare you? I sat in my tent shivering to death, almost died, and they just get to drive through? I was outraged. It's an outrage. And so think about this. We could all laugh. This is, it's a quite funny. I could look back on it now, but think about like in a spiritual way. Like, have you ever felt this feeling of like, I've been working on this. I've been suffering. I've been doing the thing. I've been going to church and here's these riffraff that get to come into the kingdom of God. Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. There's that, do you think about that, uh, that uh, parable that Jesus gives about the, the, the vineyard and the vineyard master and different people come at different times. Like some of them work all day and they get paid a day's wage. Some of them come just an hour. These riffraff, they come just an hour and they work an hour. And how much do they get paid? Do you know this parable good enough? They get the, paid the same amount, a whole day's wage, a denarius. And can you imagine the outrage, which is exactly what Jesus says. That's exactly what happened. These people that worked all day are outraged that these people who are, according to them, undeserving. But think about that. Think about in your own heart what that is. If you've ever felt this, that people are coming in and they, they don't deserve to be, well, isn't that all of us? Aren't we all saved by grace? Don't we all have a spiritual bankruptcy? If we were honest and put aside our own self-righteousness, we are all in the kingdom of God because of his grace alone. Let me read for you a picture of what heaven is going to look like. Revelation chapter 7. Many of you know this passage. John, the author, uh, writes of the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus. And he says in heaven, he says, after this, I looked. Revelation 7 verse 9. After this, I looked. Just imagine this. And there before me was a great multitude so that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne of the lamb. They were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Think about this image. We are all a part of the promise of the Old Testament, promises of Abraham. We are Abraham's descendants and we can call ourselves with that, like with pride if we are in Jesus because God himself came as one of us and promised that to us. What a beautiful image of, of the world uh, coming together and worshiping Jesus. And we have a hope now in a new family of, of Jesus followers. Point number three, I worded it like this. We hope, like that we put our hope in a new family 
of Jesus' followers. And this family, I worded it like this because in a family, it's, it could be multi-ethnic and that's the family of Jesus. It should be, it can be multi-social economic backgrounds. It should be male and female. It should be all of us together in a world that's often so divided. We all come together, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. We all are one in Christ. And this is a miracle. This is the work of the Lord. Paul says this, I'll reread this very famous passage. He says, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. Can you say amen to that? In Christ, we are all children of God. Through what? Through faith. And verse 27, for you were all baptized into Christ and clothe yourself with Christ. There is neither, praise the Lord, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Can you say thank you to the Lord for that? Say thank you, Lord. And in every language, we say thank you, Lord, for this. I'm gonna call on some people just to honor them. Um, but uh, Roxanne, where are you at? There she is. You, she was a French teacher. How do you say in French, thank you, Lord? I would repeat that, but it's beautiful. Thank you. Tatiana, she's from Colombia and she speaks Spanish. How do you say thank you, God? I'm thinking of the Wallers. Where are they at? There they are. They lived in Germany for a long time. And I talked to them before the service. How do you say, thank you, God? Danke, God. Or danke, Herr. I'm thinking of, uh, where's Jenny Sue and, and, and KJ? They, were, they lived in Thailand as missionaries for years and years. How, in Thailand, how would you say, thank you, God? Think about this. In every nation, in every language. If the Mayans were here, I don't see them right now. They're missionaries in Brazil. They speak Portuguese. In every language, in every nation, there will be this picture of, of worshipers of God under Jesus because of what Jesus has done, worshiping him. And we are all one in Christ. Think about how different that is than the kingdoms of this world. I'm gonna close with... Um, the, the exact opposite of what this looks like. And for me, I, I can't help but to think about um, like Nazism and the concentration camps. And I've told the story when I came back from Israel, this is a couple years ago now, that uh, I got to go to the uh, concentration camp museum, the Holocaust museum outside of Jerusalem, the Yad Hashem. And I told you the story of just walking through and just coming under the weight of like, this really had the, the, the terrors of one people group destroying another people group. I, I was crying so hard I couldn't breathe, looking at the shoes of children, looking at the pictures of piled bodies, looking at the emaciated faces of people that had been starved because another group of people kept food from them and tortured them and sent them to gas chambers. And there's this concentration camp called Buchenwald. It's right in the center of Germany. And the story of this concentration camp is that towards the end of the war, 1945, April, the allied troops were coming into Germany. Nazism is crumbling and falling apart. The Third Reich has no power. Uh, the U.S. forces and French forces and Russian forces are all descending, undermining and, and, and just decimating the, the, the horrible tragedies that the Nazis were doing. And they were going to concentration camps. So they were on their way to this camp, Buchenwald. And on their way, the, 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 the soldiers in the concentration camp, the prison guards, they get word that this camp is about to be liberated. 
And instead of just surrendering, Lord, have mercy. Instead of just going home and being with your family, they took people and executed them. They were executing, hauling off people one by one and executing them so they wouldn't get free, so they wouldn't be liberated. And this camp of Jews, they get together and the story is that they had built this small wave radio, like a ham radio kind of thing that could do Morse code. And they, they get to this radio and they send out an SOS. And with it, this message, we need help. Come quickly, they're killing us. And they get a message back from the Americans coming to liberate them. And all it says was, we hear you, we're coming, hold on. And that was enough like, like to their, um, like what they needed to do. That was enough encouragement to, for them to rally together and take up arms and what they could and to beat back the soldiers that were captivating, captivating them. And they took the soldiers, they took the guards, they tied them up so that when the Americans got there, the doors were open and there they were waiting for their own liberation. And the time in which the Americans got there was 3.15. And if you go to this concentration camp, it's a museum now, the clock up on the center of the concentration camp at the door says 3.15 to honor this time in which liberation happened. But think about that image. Like, they freed themselves and this, this, like they had the energy within themselves to be free. All they needed was that encouragement that, that someone's coming, that there is gonna be help, there is gonna be salvation. And I think about like the work of the Lord is the Lord inside of us. Well, we don't save ourselves, but maybe the Lord, the spiritual thing here that I'm closing with, is that maybe the Lord has already put inside of you everything you need for life and godliness. Because of your faith in Jesus, maybe the Lord has put everything you need inside of you for, for living out salvation, for, for following him. What does believing this and knowing this do for you? What does this unlock in your life that maybe the Lord has already done something? By your faith in him, the Lord himself has done a great work in you. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. We're gonna receive communion as we prepare our hearts to go to his table. We celebrate at New Life Manitou an open table and Brett will come and give instructions in a minute for how we will receive. But if you believe in Jesus, then you can receive with us the gifts of his body and his blood. And this is what this whole message is. It's, it's faith, it's salvation through faith, not by works. If you've come in here and you're like, I'm a riffraff, well, welcome to the table. We are all in need of you. So Jesus, we pray to you now and we say, God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our self-righteousness. Come to us, fill us with your power, your might. Fill us with your body and your blood to live our lives and to be saved. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.